0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation.
1: It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. Create a brand new account today, guys, at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA when you do so, and they will double your first deposit. It's that simple. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I am your host, Tyler, and the time for holding back is over, guys. Let's be real. This matchup with Tennessee, we all know it. This game is what has been on the forefront of every single Georgia fan's mind since October 15th when Tennessee took down Alabama inside Neyland Stadium. Our interactions on social media told us that, my interactions with people here in Athens told me that, and every damn thing you heard in the media told you that as well. But at least here on this podcast, we tried our best, man, we tried, I really tried, guys, to keep the focus in the moment and not to disrespect our other opponents. Vanderbilt, Florida didn't want to disrespect anybody, right? Because you just want to put those bad vibes out in the universe. But those games are now behind us. We won, we advanced, we moved on. We did our best to keep the main thing, the main thing. But all of that is over. We are now three days out from the extraordinarily rare one versus one matchup. Don't really ever see that. Obviously, Tennessee, number one in the first college playoff rankings, which I have no problem with. We we're going to do a kind of emergency podcast reacting to those rankings, but honestly, I don't want to give those college playoff committee guys any more air than they're already getting. Those rankings were ridiculous. Tennessee being number one, I actually have no problem with, based on the resume. That makes sense. Ohio State over Georgia, Okay, that's a, a little bit of a different story, but regardless, we're not going to go there. But Tennessee, number one in the college football playoff rankings, Georgia, number one in the AP rankings. You really don't ever see this. So extraordinarily rare, but it is time, guys. It is finally time to take a full-on deep dive. I'm talking a cannonball into a hundred foot deep water into this game. That's what we're doing today on this episode. And if it's cool with you guys, Well, I hope it's cool with you because it's what's about to happen. I am going to forego the countdown format that we've been using all season, even last season as well, for these episodes. I I like that. I enjoy doing that format. I'm a structured kind of guy. I like a routine. I like a structure. So that works for me usually. But I just have so much to say about this game and there is so much to dig into that it really just doesn't fit into that tightly structured format So I just want to talk some ball today, if that's cool with you guys, and look at this game from every single angle. And let's go ahead and dive right in, man. Let's start with the Tennessee offense, because obviously that is what has driven this hype train, this Tennessee hype train, completely off the rails. So this is a game, one versus one, right? That features a matchup between one team that has run the ball 347 times on the year for 1,597 yards and has only thrown the ball 251 times. And another team that has run the ball 286 times for a total of 1,616 yards and has thrown the ball 300 times. So if you look at those numbers, all right, so one team has rushed the ball 347 times, thrown it 251. The other has rushed it 286 and thrown it 300 times. Well, based on the perception of these two teams I think your average college football fan would sit there and say, oh yeah, well, I mean, Georgia's the one that's run it 347 times this year, and Tennessee's the one that's thrown it 300 times, right? Wrong. Nah, it's not how this works, guys. Tennessee is the team that has run the ball 347 times and only thrown it 251. We are the team that's rushed it for 286 attempts this year and thrown the ball 300 times. So that is just the first of several misnomers about this matchup and especially this Tennessee offense that I want to clear up today on this episode Tennessee runs the football guys I don't know how many Tennessee games you've watched chances are I know a lot of people you know you watch Georgia there's a lot of things going on in life and you got other responsibilities you don't don't get to watch as much college ball as you want I I don't want to speak for you guys, as I know what kind of fans you are. I know you are the diehard, the most hardcore college ball fan. So I assume that most of you watched a lot of a lot of football and seen quite a few Tennessee games. But I think the average fan out there probably saw Tennessee play Alabama and probably saw you know a couple quarters of that game. And they, what they saw there is Tennessee just chucking the ball all over, all over the field. You know, big touchdown after big touchdown through the air. But if you actually watch Tennessee, like I have. Every single game they play this year. I will say I did not actually watch the UT Martin game. Couldn't bring myself to do that a couple of weeks ago. But I have watched every other game that they have played. Several of them multiple times. I've watched the Alabama game four times now. I watched the Pitt game twice. I watched the Kentucky game twice already. I dove in head first on this team and hit my head in the bottom of the pool. And I can sit here and tell you with absolute certainty that Tennessee runs the football. And I know that everyone else has visions of them raining bombs all over Alabama. But guys, there's a reason they are able to do that. There was a reason they were able to do that against Alabama. There's a reason they are able to hit all these explosive plays in the passing game against other teams. And I'm not sitting here telling you they're not explosive. They are the most explosive offense in the country. They are. But there's a reason they're able to do that. And that reason is they are committed to taking what the defense gives them. And in large part, that means they are willing to run the football when the defense is giving them light boxes. They're not especially great at it. I mean, they run the ball a lot, 347 times this year, which is actually third in the SEC. There are less than 40 rushing attempts behind Arkansas, and all Arkansas does, guys, is run the football. So Tennessee... I mean, if you look at the numbers, like the splits, the run-pass splits, they are a running team. They just hurt you more with the pass, but they absolutely will run the football, but they're just not great at it. So yeah, they are third in the league in rushing attempts, but they're only seven in the league in yards per rush, averaging 4.6 yards per rush. Their top two guys are Jabari Small and Jalen Wright, and they really split the carries about evenly. If you look at their numbers on the year, you've got Wright, who's got... 478 yards. He's actually their leading rusher, but only 92 carries. Jabari Small, 110 carries, 475 yards. So Jalen Wright's been the bigger home run threat. He's been more efficient, 5.2 yards per carry. Jabari Small, 4.3. But they're very similar in their physical profile. Jabari Small's a little bit more of a threat out of the back from the passing game. He's only got 11 catches, but I mean, Wright's only got one. So Jabari Small's their starter. He's the guy that they'll use more often, but Jalen Wright's a, a really good running back in his own right as well. But even though they aren't especially efficient at running the football, they don't really have to be. What they need to be is just good enough to force a defense to adjust to take away that run game or good enough at it to make the defense pay attention to it and get their eyes in the wrong spot. And then boom, they hit you over the top for a 70-yard touchdown pass. And that is exactly what happened to Alabama, guys. That is exactly what happened to Alabama. Everyone and their brother who watched that game saw Jalen Hyatt running right by their safeties, right by their star defenders in single coverage over and over and over and over again. What most people don't understand, even though they saw it, what they don't understand is how exactly that happened, right? Right. Well, the way that happened is that Tennessee ran the ball well enough. They didn't run the ball extraordinarily well against Alabama. If you go back and look at their numbers in that game, they ran the ball 39 times for 182 yards, 4.7 yards per carry. Not especially efficient, but well enough at points in that game to force Alabama, at least get Alabama to the point where they felt like they had to adjust to take away the run game. And so Alabama started rolling safeties down into the box. What that did in the back end of their defense is it left Alabama with one safety in middle of the field closed looks which means they have limited coverage they can play, which also tells Tennessee, hey, they're probably going to be in this coverage. And what they were playing primarily when they would roll one safety down the box is they were mainly playing man free. So you're playing man underneath with one free safety, kind of just roaming around back there, trying to give help wherever. So what what that safety was doing, that middle of the field safety, he was basically just reading Hinton Hooker's eyes and trying to help wherever he felt, felt the ball was going to go. But their safeties just generally lack athleticism, and Hyatt's Jalen Hyatt, their top receiver, is just way, way, way too fast, and they could never get the help from the middle of the field over there, over the top, fast enough to make any sort of a difference. So it is... Absolutely critical, guys. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is essential, it is imperative, it is critical, it is every one of those words that we do not fall into that trap. If Tennessee is running the ball for six to seven yards a pop, fine, whatever, let them do it. I don't like that. I don't I don't want them to run the ball for six to seven yards a pop. But if that's what they're doing, let them do it. We cannot take the bait and fall into the trap of rolling safeties in the box, because if they do, or if we do that, Tennessee will absolutely gut us with explosive passing plays. I know you're sitting there saying, well, Tyler, if they're running the ball for six or seven yards a a pop, you mean, two plays, first down, they're just going to move their way down the field, move the chains, and score a touchdown that way. Isn't the same end result? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it will end up being that way, but you have to roll the dice and take your chances. And what you have to do is force them to put together those long drives and just dare them. Say, I dare you. I dare you to go 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 play drives consistently enough to where you can score the kind of points against us that you are going to need to win this game. And just hope somewhere along the way of these long drives that we're hopefully going to force them into that they make a, make a mistake somewhere along the way because there is a strongly positive correlation, guys, between the number of plays in a drive and the likelihood of mistakes that will derail said drive are the likelihood of having a fumble or a holding call that puts you behind the chains, a bad snap, a tackle for loss, a sack. There's any number of things that could happen when you force them to extend drives. That's what makes big plays such a killer is that if a team scores in two plays, well, I mean, you don't have an opportunity to, to force them to make a mistake or to, to do something to, to, to take away what they're trying to do. You don't have those opportunities. that's boom, touchdown. And you don't have a chance for them to maybe fumble the football or throw you an interception or to get a sack or, or a TFL or get a holding call, whatever it might be. You have no chance. You want to force them to run a lot of plays because the chances of them making mistakes somewhere along the way with those increased number of snaps goes up dramatically, It's simple math, guys. I'm not a math guy. You know this, but hey, I can handle that kind of math. That's football math. I can handle the football math. I think when it comes down to it, we as fans and our coaching staff and our players, which I know they do, guys. Like, look, our coaches are far more intelligent when it comes to football than I am. They know far more than I do. They have far more information to work off of. I'm not telling these guys. I'm not saying anything that they don't already know, but we have to understand what Tennessee wants to do. This offense, this team wants to, to hit the big play in the passing game. That's what they want to do. That is what their entire offense is built to do. They want the kill shot. But saying that, they are willing to do what it takes to set up those kill shot big plays in the passing game. They will take the quick outs when you give them nine yards of cushion. They will run the ball when you leave the box light. And then once you get tired of being paper cut to death and you compensate to take away the the run game or the short passing game, well, then they'll hit you over the top for a 70 yard touchdown. In the passing game, if you're trying to, if you're getting aggressive trying to drive on the ball on the short passing game, they'll hit you with a double move, boom, over the top, walk in, easy touchdown. You have to resist the temptation, guys. You have to resist the temptation to roll defenders, safeties into the box. It is so imperative. I cannot, I cannot overemphasize this. It is so important that we operate out of a too high shell in this game which for us to do that if it's that important okay we've established that well what is going to allow us to do that well to do that, we have got to stop the run with even numbers because if we can't do that, which Alabama's having trouble doing because their linebackers suck, they were having to roll safety down the box. So we cannot allow that to happen. We have got to stop the run with even numbers. I think that is perhaps the biggest key in this game. I've told you guys all season, I've had concerns about our ability to do that against teams that really run the football well because the simple fact is we do not have the front seven personnel that we had last year. We're still really good relative to the rest of the country, but we aren't 2021 Georgia defense good. We aren't. We don't have Jordan Davis. Don't have Devontae Wyatt. We don't have Quay Walker. We don't have Nicobe Dean. We don't have those guys. We have really, really good players, really talented guys, but we don't have those dudes who are now in the NFL. I was very encouraged by how we handled the Florida rushing attack, but Florida also, we were able to kind of roll guys in the box at times and get more bodies in there because they couldn't hurt us in the passing game, but I actually was really encouraged by how we were able to defend the Florida rushing attack, which by the way, guys, again, let me remind you from this episode last week, Florida led the country in yards per rush, not the SEC, the entire country, the United States of America in yards per rush coming into last week's game, and we held up just fine with even numbers in the box fairly often in that game, so that gave me some confidence if we were able to do that to Florida, then hopefully we can do that to Tennessee, because that is again, the key in this game, guys. I cannot tell you guys enough how important that is in this matchup. You know, I've been asked a lot. Probably the question I've been asked more than any other specific question when it comes to Tennessee in the past month or so it deals with Jalen Hyatt. It's like, how do we stop Jalen Hyatt? How do we slow this guy down? Because he was the one that was just destroying Alabama for over 200 yards in that game. So I get why that's the question. I mean, he's leading the SEC in receiving by more than 30 yards a game right now by almost 300 total yards. I mean, he's like in the Bolitnikoff Award conversation for the nation's best receiver right now. That's how good he's been. So if, if you're asking me, how do you stop Jalen Hyatt? well, I don't know if you stop him first off, but how do you at least slow him down? Well, that is step one, stopping the run with even numbers. Do not put your defensive backs in situations where they are forced to contend with Jalen Hyatt one-on-one with no help. That is not a winning proposition for us. So that comes back to very simply, can we control the run game? Can we control the line of scrimmage with even numbers in the box on defense? I, that's, that is it, guys. That is the key, the one key, and we'll come back to that. And guys, we are just getting started here today, breaking down this epic Georgia-Tennessee matchup, the extraordinarily rare one-versus-one matchup. Honestly, has that ever happened before? I don't know. So we are just getting started. just the tip of the iceberg. But before we move any further, before I forget, because I will forget because I'm getting going here, guys, I want to remind you guys about our friends at my bookie. Hey, if you guys are feeling confident about this game, the number's going down. That line is coming down, right? Opened at 12 and a half, I saw, late Saturday night. Now it's down. I think most recently I saw eight and a half. So if you're feeling good about this game, no, you're a braver man than I, but if you are feeling good and you want to back the dogs, my bookie is the place to do it, guys. They've got every kind of bet you can imagine. Of course, they have your basic spreads. They've got money lines. They've got Futures you can bet on. So hey, like if you think we're gonna win this game, why not just go ahead and, and put some money down on us to win the SEC championship, right? So you can do that at my bookie. They've got prop bets. So if you think we're gonna hold Hidden Hooker to I don't know, let me just throw a number out there: under 300 yards passing, whatever it might be. Knock on wood. Hey, they got prop bets for you at my bookie as well. Whatever your betting preference is, my bookie has you covered. And right now they are still offering. This exclusive promo just for you guys, listeners to the Glory UGA podcast, all you got to do is sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and they will hook you up with a 100% bonus on that very first deposit as soon as you do that, and you'll have double the money to go ahead and bet on and try to put some even more cash into your pocket. So go ahead and do that today, guys, mybookie.ag, promo code UGA, bet anything, anytime,
0: anywhere with mybookie.
1: All right, guys, let's keep this train rolling. Another misconception about this Tennessee offense that I do want to clear up here on this show today is the notion that it's some sort of exotic, complex offense that's just left every defensive coordinator that has faced it just flummoxed. That could not be further from the truth. Now, the defensive coordinators might have been flummoxed, but it's not because the offense is exotic and a complex it's not, guys. It's This offense is an offshoot of the air raid. And the air raid, I mean, I did an entire episode this summer with our Scheme Theme Month, how the air raid is one of the most simple offenses in the history of college football. It's, it's beautiful in its simplicity. You've seen Mike Leach out there, guys, on the sidelines with a sticky note-sized play sheet. Tennessee's no different. This is not some crazy playbook. It's a very simple playbook. This offense does not require quarterbacks to make some sort of insane complex pre snap checks. They operate at warp speed, man. You cannot be complex when you are a tempo offense. The more complex the offense, the slower the pace. There is a strong negative correlation there. But there are still so many people out there that watch Tennessee play, and yeah, they see him score a lot of points. And they're like, oh my God, like this offense is just insane. Like it must be complex because no one can stop it, right? And it does. Like it gives you the appearance of complexity because, yes, they seem to hit so many big plays and no one can stop it. They are leading the country in plays of 30 or more yards and plays also of 40 or more yards. Now, the, here is something that's actually kind of interesting. Let me just throw this out there. So it's kind of an aside, but if you look at the offenses in the SEC and you rank them based on the number of 10-plus rushing yard plays and the number of 20-plus passing yard plays combined. So it's a combination. If you took all the teams in the SEC, added up their rushing plays of 10-plus yards and their passing plays of 10-plus yards, we actually have more than Tennessee. We have 86. Tennessee has 82. Where things start to get skewed for us in Tennessee's favor is when you start talking about 30-plus-yard plays, and 40-plus-yard plays. That's where we start to lose pace. We have 19 plays of 30 and 40 yards or more. Tennessee has 58. So sure, we can be explosive if you want to count 10-plus-yard rushing plays and 20-plus-yard passing plays as explosive, but I guess you've had another category like the super-explosive plays. We cannot keep pace with that. Tennessee is super-explosive. That's the term we want to use. So just a little aside there but all those explosive plays give the appearance of complexity, right? But it's just not really the truth. It's a very misleading appearance. And one of the big factors in helping them create those big plays, generate those big plays, turn them out at an insane rate, is the tempo that they operate with. They go warp speed, guys. They really do. And that tempo is critical for them. This offense, and I said this earlier in the week, I think on the mailbag episode, I think we had a question about this, and I started to allude to it, but I'm gonna go in more detail here. This offense is really built on two principles: it's tempo and it's space. They space you out and force defense to make decisions. Their wide receiver splits are as wide as any team in the country. It's kind of the Art Briles version of the air raid, right? That's where they where they kind of took that from. So when you when they space you out like that, they force you to make a lot of decisions. Number one, do you flex out linebackers? Do you flex out star defenders to defend those receivers or those wide splits? Well, if you do that, you leave a light box. Is that what you want to do? Do you keep those guys in to defend the run and then slide a safety over in man coverage? Is that what you want to do and leave those guys like Alabama and leave them isolated by themselves, these unathletic safeties, DeMarco and in, in, in battle, and have Jalen Hyatt just run right by them? Is that what you want to do? It is a pick your poison situation. It's what we call classic conflict for the defense. And that's really what offensive football is about. It's about putting a defense in conflict and then having an answer to whatever their their choices, whatever and whatever they choose to do in response to that conflict, you just do the other thing, right? Because the defense can't take away everything. And Tennessee does that expertly. They do it exceptionally well. And, And spacing has a lot of advantages, guys. Like It's not just about, okay, forcing the defense to make that decision there, putting them in classic conflict. But I mean, it makes a defense declare. Also, it makes it really hard to disguise what you're doing defensively. Like you know, we like to use a lot of simulated pressure, right? We get a lot of guys in the box. We might we'll get a linebacker in that box. We'll get a star defender. We'll get our money defender if it's a dime package. We might even get a safety up in there at times, but they're not all coming. We It's very rare that we send all those guys. Like We rarely send more than four, honestly. Extremely rare that we send more than five. But it, we give the appearance of we might be sending them all. And who's coming? Who's dropping out? It's hard for for an offense to figure that out. And we've really been pioneers. Kirby Smart and our defense have been pioneers in this simulated pressure that's kind of taken over defensive of football right now. But when Tennessee spaces you out the way they do, it's really hard to get all those bodies in the box to even give the appearance of that simulated pressure. So it's just much harder Order to disguise things and you have to just declare what you're doing quicker and that makes it easier for an offense to operate when they have a much better idea or if they can at least eliminate the number of options that to choose from in terms of trying to decide what you as a defense are trying to do on any given snap it basically just unmuddles things for them so it, it Makes it hard to disguise coverages and pressures. They they can say, oh yeah, well they got one high safety here. So if they're one high safety, it's it's either cover three or man free, right? If you got two high safeties, well it could be cover two, it could be quarters, it could be man under. But those are the options. So it makes it easier that way. It makes it easier to see where the pressures are coming from. It just unmuddies things for the quarterback and the offense in general. And then when you add tempo to the mix. The defense has to simplify itself because they got to get the play in very fast. The defense gets sped up. Guys aren't used to playing at that pace. They panic. They get their eyes in the wrong place. You can't sub guys. The bigger guys get winded. Now you can run on those guys, and now it's just even more of a problem. It just further exacerbates the issues that their spacing creates. And then on top of all of that, you add what Tennessee has right now, which are just skill pieces that perfectly fit that offense, and you have the recipe— for the best offense in America. That's how it happens. It's not because it's complex and exotic. That has nothing to do with it. They don't have a big play sheet. I mean, come on, this is not an NFL style offense. This is not a pro style offense. Give me a break but they don't want to be that. If they were that, they couldn't go as fast as they do and create some of the issues that they do for defenses and stress defenses the way that they do. So that's really what it's all about. That's what this offense is built on. It's tempo and it's space. The combination of those two things, you throw in the talent they have this year, the speed at receiver, and it just puts a ton of stress on defenses. And it's hard for a defense to really have an answer, at least an answer for everything. You can have an answer for some things, but do you have an answer for everything? And Really? No, you don't. Speaking of answers, again, I'm going to go back to, to the guy I've got the most questions about over the past couple of weeks, Jalen Hyatt. Do we have an answer for Jalen Hyatt at wide receiver? Now, I do want to pause here for a moment and, and just put this out there. I do not want it to make make it seem like it's just Jalen Hyatt out there. No, that and that's part of what makes Jalen Hyatt so effective and so dangerous is they have other options that can hurt you just as easily you have a guy like Cedric Tillman who's been hurt like, he was the guy coming into the year he was their top guy last year he was their thousand yard guy last year I mean Jalen Hyatt guys was one of those guys that had that like tantalizing speed and had that that p word the potential all these years but he had never been that kind of guy he was just a guy that everyone hoped could take that next step kind of like Arian Smith for us to be quite honest with you this guy had 276 yards receiving as a freshman in 2020, 226 last year, had a combined 41 catches coming into this season. He's already got 45 catches and 907 yards. So he has essentially doubled his production already this season. Uh, he's, he had four touchdowns combined coming into this year. He's got 14 right now. So Jalen Hyatt wasn't the guy that everyone thought we were at the game plan for coming into the season. It was Cedric Tillman. He was the returning 1,000-yard receiver. He got banged up. He had, you know, obviously A.D. Mitchell, who at this point I'm starting to believe is just a figment of our imagination. I'm not sure if he actually existed. Were we in an alternate universe when we thought at some point he was on the team? I don't know. But the mystery man, he's not there. But he's had his ankle injury. Well, Cedric Tillman had his. He's just kind of back now. And now is he 100%? I don't know if he's 100%, but, hey, he's still a really good player. He's still a threat out there. And Brew McCoy, the transfer from USC— um, who had some some issues, some legal issues at USC and Tennessee, of course, you know, they took him anyway, and um, he is now doing some good things, and so he's a bigger, more physical type guy, he's not quite the, uh, the explosive athlete that Jalen Hyatt is, but Hyatt, Hyatt is killing people because he's just insanely fast. Again, he's Six foot 180 pounds, small guy. He is their version of Arian Smith. He's like, we've we've thought Arian Smith for years could be that guy, you know, get that speed on the field, but he just has never been able to stay healthy. Well, that's what they were saying about Jalen Hyatt, and then this year he just exploded onto the scene. So maybe that'll happen for us next year with, with Arian. Who knows, man? We'll see. I, I trying to tope out these things because I just get my hopes up. But just to my point, it's not just Jalen Hyatt. You got Brew McCoy there. You've got Cedric Tillman, Fant the tight ends. Actually, a a pretty good player if you don't pay attention to him. Like they'll hit him, and and he can hurt you as well. He's not a primary guy, but he can hurt you. But it is Jalen Hyatt that is the one handing out fatalities like it's Mortal Kombat three out there. So what is it that makes it so hard? Like what is so difficult about him to defend? Well, number one, it's what I mentioned earlier: the Tennessee offense. I give them credit; they are patient enough to run the football if they need to, to do whatever it takes to get him the looks that allow him to be Superman when they do throw him the ball vertically down the field. And then number two, it's where he plays. He plays primarily in the slot. And this is one of the issues that I've had with our offense. It's like, we have guys like, Lad McConkey is a good player for us, but he's a slot guy like that's where he's most effective but right now because of lack of depth and injuries and we just don't we just generally don't have that much talent there he's being forced to play more outside than he needs to be he should not be an outside receiver he can do it he's he can do it fine but he's much more dangerous and effective inside as a slot guy but with ad out and you know some of the issues we've had with with just recruiting in general like uh, he's got to play out there but they're able with, with tillman and McCoy, they're able with a three wide receiver set to play hyatt where he belongs which is in the slot and he kills you there and the reason he kills you there is slot wide receivers are off the line of scrimmage he's a small guy right six foot 180 pounds he's small he's slight of frame but he's very hard to get hands on and you want to get hands on if you could press him line of scrimmage he's gonna have a hard time getting off press coverage because he's not big he's not strong that's not his game he's just crazy freaking fast but because he plays in the slot and he's off the line of scrimmage, it's very difficult to get your hands on him and actually press him and force him to do something he's not good at. And you know when he does get pressed, which is very rarely, he doesn't handle it well. He doesn't. And then when they move him outside, like they'll play him outside at times, but when they do, almost always what they're using are stack sets. They love to use stack sets where he is aligned directly behind another wide receiver, again, for the express purpose of making it borderline impossible to actually get hands on him and press him at the line. That's how he gets all these free releases. If you're watching Alabama game, you're like, how in the hell is this guy just running free snap after snap after snap after snap? Well, that is a huge part of it. Now, there are some things that you can do to not allow him to run as free as Alabama did, but that's a big part of it. It's just tough. It's just tough. So how do you do it? How do you actually defend this guy? Well, it's tough because, again, classic conflict. you got to make a decision here. If you play off of him, which is Alabama was doing a lot in that game because they were trying to, like, just, you know, play nine, 10 yards off of him and just try to give their defenders a cushion there and be able to run with him. But nah, man, that just ran right by him. Once he caught up with you, he just runs right by you. So if you play off of him, they're going to take the short gimmies all day. Again, they're trying to set up those big home run plays, right? So they'll take the short gimmies until you kind of overreact to that and they'll double move you and then they'll beat you down the field on them. They did that against Alabama. But if you play in his face, again, he's a blazer. He is apt to run right by you. So what do you do? I mean, I don't know if there's a a firm answer here. He's very, very tough to defend in in the context of this offense. I think to start with, it's very important to give as much help as possible. And again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's why stopping the run with even numbers in the box might be the key to this entire game. Ideally, you do not want any one single defender running with him in man coverage, solo man coverage with no help down the field. Even a guy as athletic as Malachi Starks. Coming to the Alabama game, one of the things I was saying, was like, you know what? Like it's just We match up better with Tennessee because we are better at safety, more athletic safety, especially with Malachi Starks. But it really doesn't matter how athletic you are and who you are. Like, chances are he's faster than you, and he's the one with the momentum running straight at you, straight line. So, like, he's probably gonna be able to run right by you. And if you don't have any help, then that makes it really, really tough but there are some things that you can do as a defender to help yourself. I think it's really important to not get caught flat-footed in this game as a defender, especially against any of the receivers, especially Jalen Hyatt. I know that sounds like, yeah, Tyler, that's obvious, but it's one of those things that, even though it might be obvious, it takes on even more importance in this game because that is what happened to Alabama. If you go back and watch that tape, guys. their defenders, their safeties, uh, Moore and Branch at the star position in the slot, they just kept getting caught flat footed snap after snap after snap and I could not figure out for the life of me, like what they were being coached to do. Like if they're being coached to do that, to play it that way, or if that's just, just bad habits that so the coaches coaches didn't correct. I mean Alabama's got a a defensive coaching problem right now they don't want to admit it because they still have a lot of talent and kind of mask it to a degree but Pete Golding ain't it guys he ain't it but that's the conversation for another day but when you are playing defensive back and you've got Jalen Hyatt a guy as fast and athletic as he is in man coverage you simply cannot wait until he is on you and stepping on your toes to get into your back pedal if you do that you are dead as soon as the ball snapped, you've got to basically get in that backpedal like, immediately. As soon as you see he's running a route, like a vertical route, or any kind of route, honestly, get into the backpedal. If that causes him to break off his route, so be it. Let them take those short routes. Live to fight another day. Do not, at all costs, do not give up the sure home run touchdown. That is what you cannot do. And then also, if you're playing out, if, if, if he's playing outside, which From time to time, they'll move him out there. That's not where he makes a living, but they'll move him out there at times. If he's out there, and this goes for any receiver, whether it's him, whether it's Cedric Tillman, whether it's Brew McCoy... Force them to release outside because what that does is that limits the number of routes they can run. So take inside leverage, force them outside. Use the the, the boundary, the sideline, as the, your twelfth defender. It limits the number of routes they can run. If you can, if you can force them outside, there's only so many routes they can run. A vertical route, they can run that go route, they can run a comeback route, they can run a dig route. I guess if they want to try to from there, but it limits the types of things that they can do if you force them with that outside release. So there are some things that you can do. But it's still very difficult when you're talking about a guy that is athletic and as speedy as Jalen Hyatt. And look, again, it's not just him. They have other really talented receivers as well, but he is the one that, that is just straight up killing folks. And then what about Hendon Hooker? I've barely even mentioned his name yet today. That The signal caller, the quarterback of this offense, I, I maybe even you can call him the engine of this offense. This is a guy that very well could, and maybe he's the leader right now for the Heisman Trophy, along with C.J. Stroud. But I mean, Hendon Hooker is a fascinating case. Because this is a guy, when he was at Virginia Tech, just wasn't good. The reason he transferred to Tennessee, I mean, I know they had some issues with the coaching staff there, but he just couldn't like consistently win that job. I mean, he was more of a runner at Virginia Tech than he was a passer. I mean, you go back to 2019, 61% completion percentage, 1,500 yards, um, what, 13 touchdowns that year, Twenty twenty. completion percentage, 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, five interceptions, and boom, next year, the next year at Tennessee 2021, he's got 68% completion percentage. Three thousand yards, thirty-one touchdowns this year already. Seventy-one percent completion already. Twenty-three hundred plus yards, ten point seven yards per attempt. Twenty-one touchdowns, and one interception. Just a totally different guy. I mean, it shows you this what this offense is about. I mean, Hooker's good. He's a really good decision maker for them. He's athletic, but this offense is it's very much a plug and play type offense, and he's just a great fit to plug into this offense. He's a fantastic deep ball passer. He's very athletic. He protects the football. He's a good decision maker. And, um, you know, with that athleticism, he's a threat to just rip your heart out with his legs. He has this knack, man. It's just uncanny. This knack of converting third downs with his legs just when you think you've done everything right and you've gotten a stop. Like, you've got him, man. you got him cornered. Nah, Henninger just takes off, and if you watch, this guy plays hilarious. He has one move. He has one single move. It's a devastatingly effective move, but he'll set you up outside, and he'll cut back inside, right? He's got these really long legs. Watch him. Every single time he puts a move on somebody, there's a defender coming to take him out. He's got one single move. He'll plant his, his outside foot, and then give you a little shake, a little wiggle, back inside real quick. He plants, cuts real quick, and he's always cutting back inside. Now, in the moment, it's tough to You know when you're trying to tackle this guy to to remember that, but like on tape, man, you gotta know our guys are seeing that and they're being coached about that. But neither here nor there, he will rip your heart out, man. Like he is a really really dynamic runner when they actually use him there, and when he's just scrambling as well. Now when he does scramble and he makes these plays he loves to escape through the middle of the defense, like right up the middle of the defense. He doesn't really do a ton of scrambling and picking up yards on the edges. It's really like he gets pressure and he just takes off upfield. That's what this guy does. So that's why it's really important to maintain pass rush lanes and also have a linebacker accounting for him. Now, I know that's tough. Again, they're putting the defense in conflict. That takes a guy out of pass coverage on third downs in um, all downs, but especially third downs. But i I would be willing to take the gamble there, and I'd sacrifice a curl flat defender to put someone on him. That's what we did against Anthony Richardson, and we really took him out out of the game in terms of his rushing ability. I do think this is where the loss of Nolan Smith hurts. You know, I mean, God, you hate to say anyone's irreplaceable, but we just—if there was one player we could probably ill afford to lose in that defense, it is Nolan Smith because we just don't have anyone to replace him. We don't have anyone that can do what he does. There's that line, the outside linebacker room—it's um, a problem right now. We let that become an issue for us. Dan Landing. As much as I love Dan Lane and appreciate what he helped us do as our outside linebacker coach and primary recruiter for that position, allowed that room to go to hell, basically. And like we have some guys, and I respect all those guys, but we are, let's just say the, the level of talent has degraded significantly at that position. I mean, it was just a few short years ago that was the most talented position in our room. We were talking, in our in our roster, we were talking about that room like we talk about the tight end room right now. And it is not that way right now. So Nolan going down. I mean, we don't. We have some guys that played that position. I think Marvin Jones Jr. can be a guy that has that kind of athleticism. Maybe not quite Nolan's level, but good athleticism. But do we really want to rely on a true freshman who's basically played no meaningful snaps in his career in this game? In this moment? I mean, I hope he can do it. But man, I don't know if that's what you want to rely on right now. And Robert Beal is a really good player He's not Nolan Smith. Like He doesn't have that same level of athleticism. He doesn't get the same versatility that we have with Nolan Smith on the field. I mean, it's just tough, man. Like Nolan's a guy that could help us contain Hooker, do some different things from a coverage standpoint. He can actually operate in space, and without him, it does hurt. So that's where that hurts. But I'll also say this. While it's it's tough to lose Nolan, it's great to have Jalen Carter back because we need him to play a lot in this game, and I mean more than just third downs. I think Warren Brinson's another guy that we can use effectively in this role because, again— hooker likes to scramble up the middle of the defense right he doesn't he doesn't really struggle with edge pressure because usually what people do is our you know teams will rush from the edge and they'll rush wildly upfield and create those natural rush lanes he just takes off up the middle of the field where he struggles is pressure in his face as i've mentioned before and jalen carter is the answer to that jalen carter wins guys he wins pass rush reps he wins rush reps, it doesn't matter. He wins. And Warren Brinson's won a lot of those reps as well. And I think that could be a key to containing him in the pocket and forced him into mistakes. The interception he threw against Alabama, go back and watch it. He had pressure right in his face. He kinda of panicked and threw a ball. He had no bits of throwing, kind of overthrew a little bit, and it was interception. Because we have to force some turnovers to win this game. I really believe that. And I think that could be a big key. Now I will say Jalen playing a lot of snaps would be tough with tempo because is you know he's missed so much time is he in the kind of playing shape and you can't just like sub him off the field after two or three plays because they operate with tempo you don't have time to sub because they don't really sub so that makes it tough but Jalen Carter could be a big key in this game as well so let's recap real quick here let's go over some of the things we've talked about Stop the run with even numbers. I think that's the key to the game here is one of the things that's going to help us slow down their pass game. The thing, I think will help them slow down their pass game or at least limit it to some degree. Resist the temptation to roll safeties into the box. Try to get hands on Jalen Hyatt. If not, do not get caught flat-footed against him. You simply cannot allow it to happen. And then the next question becomes... What is the best way to do all of those things that I just mentioned? Well, I mentioned this a little bit on the uh, the mailbag episode. Let me go in a little bit more detail here. I think the answer from a coverage and like a structural standpoint is matchup quarters. Now, you can't do one thing all the time, but I think this is the way to go the majority of the, of the game. Matchup quarters is a two-high defense. It can give you cover four, right? It can be a zone defense. You can also morph and demand coverage against vertical routes. There's a lot of flexibility bit built within it. And it also gives you the ability to get eight defenders in the box against the run without having to sacrifice anything against the run or anything against the pass, I should say. Because the way this works, guys, is you have the two safeties, right? It's a two-high safety look. Well, the safeties, they are reading Usually, it could be the usually it's the tight end, right? So they're reading the tight end, but they have a read, right? They have a key that they're reading, and if that. Key gives them a run read, they trigger downhill against the run, and they come in and they act as basically an extra linebacker. If they get a pass read, well, then they're either going to be playing zone defense or be playing man coverage on the number two receiver based on what the releases are and, and what the offense is doing. But you can be, remain structurally sound and limit big plays in the back end with a too high safety look, but also get those guys in the box very, very quickly to take away the run, which I told you, I think is very, very critical. So to me, the answer to what do you play against this team, like how do you structure it? I think it's matchup quarters, get aggressive in their face on the outside. I would say a very aggressive press man matchup quarters. That is what Pitt ran against them most of that game. Yeah, Pitt gave some big plays in the passing game, but Pitt also won a lot more reps than other teams that have played Tennessee. Had. Alabama was playing off those guys, trying to not get beat off the line with press, and they just got torched. You, you're, you're going to get beat some guys. like Tennessee's going to get theirs. We have to accept that. Tennessee's going to score points. That sucks, but just accept it. Know what's going to happen. They're going to score points. They're going to get theirs. We just need to score more points. We need to get more of ours than they get of theirs. So get in their face, press them, be aggressive with them. I mean, I know I mentioned Jalen Hyatt. It's tough to do that, but with Cedric Tillman, with Bruce McCoy, get in their face and play that aggressive press man matchup quarters and, uh, and, and just see what you can do with that. Because Pitt, Played them very well. Played them as well as any defense has, and that's what Patton Narduzzi does. He made living off that Michigan State, doing it still at Pitt, and I think that gives us our best chance of success in limiting, potentially, hopefully, limiting this Tennessee offense enough to win this football game. So that is the Georgia defense versus high-powered, vaunted Tennessee offense. But we still have a whole other side of the ball to talk about. But before we do that, I do just quickly want to remind you about Alumni Hall. If you are coming in town for the game this week and ready to scream your lungs out, make sure to stop in at Alumni Hall before or after the game to get all the latest Georgia gear and accessories. I just picked up one of the new Nike hoodies, not going to need it this weekend, but the cold weather is coming, I think, at some point, and I love me a good hoodie, I usually pick up at least one new one every fall, every winter, and I already got mine at Alumni Hall, so make sure, guys, again... Check out what they got to offer. They got all the gear, all the accessories, all the brands. Alumni Hall's got it. And every time you make a purchase, you start racking up points, guys. And when you get to $150 spent in-store or online, you get $10 towards a future purchase. Their Hall Pass Rewards Program is like none other. So stop in this weekend or check out the gear online at AlumniHall.com because Alumni Hall is where the bulldog shop.
0: Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
1: Okay, guys, let's do this. Let's flip this thing over to the defensive side of the ball. And you guys know the numbers here. Defensively, it's night and day. So offensively, statistically, Tennessee is the better offense, but it's by a very, very small margin. It's the number one total offense in the country versus number two total offense in the country. Tennessee's third nationally in yards per play. Georgia is fourth nationally in yards per play. So offensively, production-wise, now it may not look the same. It does not look the same, but production-wise, and sure, Tennessee's schedule has been a little bit more difficult than ours to this point. That's fair to say, but production-wise, offensively, these two teams are very similar, which the national media, of course, does not want to talk about. But defensively, these two teams and the production, the statistical production, could not be more different. Now we are not the same defense that we were last year, but this is exactly what we thought coming this season. We told you guys this in the preseason; you you were on board with this. We were going to take a, a, an ever so slight step back defensively with all those guys that we lost, but there was not going to be some fall off of a cliff. We have still been top ten nationally in basically every major defensive category, and i just give you some ideas here. So right now we are fourth nationally in total defense, giving up 262 yards a game. Tennessee, yeah, not in the top five, not even close. They're 82nd nationally, giving up nearly 400 yards a game, 393 to be exact. Yards per play, they're a little bit better in terms of efficiency here with yards per play. We are ninth, still top 10 Uh, 4.56 yards per play allowed. Tennessee is 39th, giving up 5.2 yards per play. Rush defense, now this is where Tennessee's actually been good defensively, at least statistically. We are fourth nationally in rush defense, giving up 85.38 yards per game on the ground. Tennessee's ninth. They are top 10 in rush defense. Still under 100 yards, 92.88 yards per game. Tennessee's actually just slightly behind us in yards per rush allowed. We are averaging 2.89 yards allowed per rush. They're averaging 2.9. So defensively, at least statistically, they've been good against the run. Pass defense, This is where they fall off a cliff. We are 13th nationally, giving up 177 yards per game through the air, and fourth nationally in yards per attempt, only giving up 5.7 yards per passing attempt. Tennessee, on the other hand, is 127th nationally out of 131 teams, by the way, guys. 127th nationally, so bottom five nationally, giving up 300, yes, three, 300.8 yards per game through the air, and they are 51st nationally them at 6.9 yards per attempt. And even if the Alabama game is the only time you've seen Tennessee play, you saw that on full display. Uh, Yes, Tennessee was hitting pass play after pass play vertically down the field, but so was Alabama and with receivers who aren't nearly as good as what Tennessee has to work with. So when you watch this team play, those are the numbers and they are what they are. But when you watch this Tennessee defense play, like why are they so good against the run, top 10 nationally, and so bad against the pass? Well, I've watched every one of their games again, except for the, the UT Martin game. In most of these games, all the games, I've watched it at least, at least twice. I get the feeling, just watching them play, that their defense is trying to complement their offense which is like the inverse of what we've been trying to do like you know last year we were talking about how we were playing complementary football offensively because the defense was the engine to our success last season and our offense was trying to complement that it's the same concept for Tennessee but it's backwards right i think obviously their offense is the engine to their team that's why they're successful and the defense is trying to complement that so how does the defense complement this high power Tennessee offense well I, I see them trying to force the issue, force the issue for opposing offenses and trying to get the ball back in their offense's hands. I, I think the way they defend, they're, they're hyper-aggressive guys defensively. I think they're trying to force their opponents to play their game and play into their hands. Because, yes, they are very hyper-aggressive. They bring a ton of pressure. Versus Bama, they, I mean, they were bringing five guys, at least five guys, essentially every single snap, and they brought six quite a few times as well. So when, when you see a defense play that aggressively, what it tells me is like they're willing to give up big plays in the back end because they do, and it's not just against Alabama. They give up big plays in the back end but it has to, like to me when I watch them play, and it happens over and over again. It's almost like they're just saying, "Okay, cool." Like we're willing to do that because that just means our offense gets the ball back, and they're betting on you not being able to keep pace over the course of sixty minutes. They're not especially big or physical up front. They're really not. They're solid, but they're not like big, physical, stout. Uh, but they've been good against the run because they get a lot of bodies around the box. They'll bring a lot of pressure. A lot of run blitzes. And and I will say, I think the numbers are skewed a little bit. They are good against the run. I'm not going to completely dismiss those numbers, but I, I do think those numbers are skewed a little bit. I don't think they are that good when it comes to a talent standpoint. They have played. The fact is, they play some really bad offenses. Like Akron, for example, they played some really bad offenses that don't run the ball that well. A couple of the games, like LSU, for instance, they get out to big leads, and those teams had to come from behind. And so, when you have to do that, you kind of abandon the run game, you abandon your game plan, and that happened with LSU. Uh, sack numbers also help out. So, if you look at some of the numbers, they've actually had a couple of 100-yard rushers against them. Israel abandoned Kanda from Pitt. I mean, he broke like a, a 50 plus yard run against them for a touchdown. He had over 150 yards rushing uh, himself in that game. Uh, Jameer Gibbs for Alabama had over 100 yards rushing in that game. So they've had a couple guys that have had some, had some success against them on the ground from the running back position, but they do a really good job of bottling up the quarterback. They don't allow quarterbacks to really hurt them. They get a lot of tackles for loss and sacks, and that kind of skews some of their rushing numbers because obviously that's included in the rushing totals, but they've had a couple of backs with some of the better rushing offenses they face that have had some success against them. Now in their front seven, they're okay at linebacker. I think they're pretty good there. Jeremy Banks is a pretty good player. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's not like a, a complete liability there either. Tyler Barron's a good player for the at defensive end, but I think the best player in their front seven is their edge rusher, a guy named Byron Young. He actually leads the team in sacks right now. He's got five on the year. They're not a dominant pass rushing team, but he is the best pass rusher on the team. There's really not much of a question about that. And he's the one guy in the front seven that you've got to account for every single snap and, and have a plan for him. And you don't want to let him like wreck the game, create negative plays, force Stetson into a poor decision where he turns the ball over, and that could lose you a game. But he, he's a good, solid pass rusher. Not necessarily, necessarily an elite guy, but he's the best they've got. Number six, you'll see him out there on the field if you're not familiar watching Tennessee play. So they are. They're pretty good against the run. They're they're statistically very good against the run. You watch them play. They're good. I don't know if they're as good as top 10, as those numbers would suggest, but they're still a good rush defense. Pass defense, though, well, I mean, that's an entirely different story, as you could tell from the numbers that I read out to you a few minutes ago. And, And get a little bit more specific with this, peel back the layers a little bit. When I look at their secondary, and I try to figure out, okay, who is the guy? Like, they're not good in the secondary. Like, none of their DBs guys are, like, legit cover guys they don't really have anyone like that but who's the guy that you can really create favorable matchups against and to me it's their star defender Tamaria McDonald I think he's a problem for them he's not very good he's not good in man coverage he's pretty good in run support but he's I don't know if I want to use the liability word in the back end, but he's the closest thing they've got to it. And he's a guy that we can win against. I think Ladd can win against him. I think Brock, I think that Darnell, I think those guys, I think, honestly, I think Dominic Blaylock, if he's given us more opportunities, can win against him. Kiaris, I think, can win against him there in the slot. But it's not just McDonald. I think he's the most vulnerable guy in their back end, but they really just lack talent in their secondary in general. Jalen McCullough at safety is their most experienced player back there. He's probably the best player in the back end, but he's not like an all-SEC first-team type guy. He's not an elite player himself. But unfortunately for Tennessee, when you don't really have the talent back there and you operate your defense in a way that forces these guys to operate on islands a lot because you're so aggressive in the front seven, you're going to give up a lot of yards. That's how these things work and that's exactly what's happened in Tennessee this year. So, statistically they're very good against the run and statistically they are god awful bottom 5 in the country against the pass. So, with that information, how do we go about attacking them offensively? And I know, I know how this is going to sound, guys. I know. I know this sounds counterintuitive. Because, yes, I read out all of those numbers. I know what I read to you. They are very bad against the past. So this is going to sound crazy. This is going to sound counterintuitive. But I'm going to say it anyway because I believe it. We have to run the football. We have to hit them in the freaking mouth. I've spent the past month or so telling you guys that is who we are that is the personnel that we've recruited that is the personnel that we currently have on our roster now do we want to adjust that moving forward i think so but right now the reality is that is who we are i think we wanted to be something different earlier in the year and it worked really well in the in the organ game and that kind of emboldened us to kind of continue on that path and then we kind of hit that proverbial wall against missouri and it kind of woke us up and said hey like That's not who we are. I know it worked really well against Oregon, but that's not who we're going to be. That's not who we are. And we realize, oh yeah, well, this is who we are. We run the football. We create a physical downhill rushing attack. We operate play action off that. We work in the screen game to keep teams off balance. That is who we are. I know that Todd Munkin wants to be something a little bit different and more wide open. I'm glad that we are throwing the ball more. I am glad that we are doing that. But the reality is we just don't have the dudes we don't, man. Like we don't. We don't have the dudes at wide receiver to just line up and drop back and throw it 50 times a game to beat a team like Tennessee when they know we are going to throw it. So play to your strengths, man. Like that's that's what we've been doing and that's been really successful for us coming off that Missouri game. Yeah, of course we have to throw it against them. I'm not saying, you know, let's turn to a triple option, you know, service academy. We got to throw the ball, but when we throw the ball, it has to be on our terms. You know, I spent a little while earlier talking about this Tennessee offense, telling you how I think they do an amazing job, an amazing job of putting defenses in conflict. And we can do the same thing, guys. And we need to do the same thing. We just go about it in a different way. For us, it's not about space that puts defenses in conflict. It's about personnel decisions and schematic decisions that we force defenses to make. We create matchup advantages with our personnel. We use heavy personnel. We force defenses to decide, okay, do we want to respond with big guys ourselves to take away the run game and then open ourselves up to being hurt with Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers and guys like that and the backs out of the backfield? Or do we want to like just roll the dice and come out on our nickel and say, all right, if you're going to run the ball, run the ball, but we're not going to let you get these matchups that are going to kill us in the passing game. Like though, That's conflict, right? And those defenses have to make those decisions. We just do it a little bit differently. And I think we can, guys. I think we can run the football against the Tennessee defense. I know statistically it says that we're going to have a really tough day doing that, but I think that we can, at least well enough, at least well enough for our purposes in this game. I do believe that our offensive line has really come on the past month since that game in Columbia, Missouri. We, we just look like a different unit. We're playing more cohesive. We're playing more physically. We are getting up to the second level and actually blocking people. I, I, I think the light has come on for this offensive line. I love the way that they're playing right now. The running backs are running hard. I, I've never seen Kenny McIntosh run the way that he ran against Florida. That was a man possessed especially once he came back from the fumble, that dude was trying to hit people. And I'm not saying Kenny hasn't run with power at times, but not that way. Not like that. So the guys are running hard. Branson Robinson has emerged to a degree as an option for us back there. We've gotten Stetson involved in the run game when we needed to. I wish we'd run him a little bit more, to be honest with you, but we've gotten him involved enough to, to at least hold defenses honest at times. So I think that we can have some success running the football. And then after you establish that running game, I mean, the, the, the recipe is familiar, guys. Like, we know the formula. It's very, very familiar. Establish the run, be physical, work play action off that, create favorable matchups with your tight ends, and then you let the defense do their thing. And, and when Tennessee gets hyper-aggressive on defense, because they're going to, like, that's just, that's what they do. That's who they are. Like, we're trying to be who we are. They're going to be who they are. That's what they are on defense. And when they do that, be ready. Hit them with our screen game to keep them honest. We're going to do that. That's what I've been saying for a couple of weeks, guys. But the screen game can't be like the core piece of our offense, which for a couple of weeks it seemed like it was, and it just wasn't working. Teams were figuring it out. They were sitting on it. But we still need to use it. It can be very effective when we use it as a complement to the core of our offense, which I think needs to be that downhill physical rushing attack. So you, you can work that in, keep them honest, take them out of what they want to do with that aggressive play up front, trying to bring guys around the line in scrimmage. And here's the other thing about running the football, guys. Running the ball, not only does that open up explosive passing opportunities for us, where we can hit some vertical shots down the field. And we guys, we need to. We need to do a better job of hitting some of those shots down the field. You've seen the past couple weeks, those opportunities have been created by Todd Munkin. They've been schemed up. They're there. We haven't done a consistent job of hitting them. That has to change this week. When Todd schemes it up, because he will, that's what Todd Munkin does, we have got to protect. We've got to hit them and the guys got to catch the ball like all of it has to work in unison like if we're going to win this game we're going to have to take advantage of those opportunities those opportunities will be there we are going to have to actually hit on them and hit on them at a high rate this week but beyond that running the ball is going to help us control the clock and that's really important in this game because it's going to keep the Tennessee offense off the field. Most of the time, in most situations, I feel like time of possession is a very overrated stat because the goal is to score, not necessarily to possess the ball. But when you possessing the ball is an effective way to keep your opponent from scoring, especially a high-powered offensive opponent like this, then time of possession does take on some added importance. I think it is relevant in a game like this. And I'm not saying that we cannot When a track meet with them again, they're number one in total offense. We are number two. They're number three in yards per play. We are number four. These offenses are not all that dissimilar in terms of their production. They're just dissimilar in how they go about creating that production. So no, I am not ready to just sit here and concede that we have no chance to win a shootout with Tennessee. I'm not going to concede that. But I will say that I think our chances improve dramatically of winning this game if we can keep their offense off the field and out of rhythm. So ideally, yes, I would like to possess the football. I would like to keep their offense off the field. Now, when you do that, here's the thing, guys, because when you possess the football, what does that do? It limits possessions. It limits possessions for your offense, for, for the opposing offense that you're trying to keep off the field, but it also limits possessions for your offense. So that means every possession takes on added importance. So what I'm saying is when you get opportunities to score in the red zone, when you are trying to limit your opponent's possessions and thereby limiting your own possessions, you have to cash in. You cannot settle for field goals against Tennessee because despite our defensive talent and the defensive production, like I told you earlier, they're going to get theirs. They're just too good on offense. Now, we need to limit how much they get, but they're still going to score some points. we guys just got to be prepared for that, got to be ready for that. So when we get opportunities, if we're trying to limit possessions, we have got to score touchdowns. If we're having to kick field goals in the red zone like we did against... Missouri, where two out of six uh, appearances in the red zone, we're scoring touchdowns, we're kicking field goals on the other four, that's not going to cut it. We will not win this football game. But I still think if we can find a way to be productive in the red zone and be efficient scoring touchdowns, which we have, right? We have. Was it 13 last 15 since the Missouri game that we've got in the red zone? We have scored touchdowns. If that trend continues in this game and we're able to limit possessions and we just get a couple of stops against this Tennessee team, whether we force them to punt, whether we create turnovers, stop them on downs, whatever it is, whatever it takes. I really like our chances if we can control the game and make them play our game as opposed to having to play their game. And when you do that, it puts the pressure on them, right? If you limit possessions, it puts the pressure on Tennessee to make every possession count the way that they do to other teams. So, I really do. I think in a lot of ways, this game, as I just said, is going to come down to which team can force its opponent to play its game. We are fourth nationally in time of possession. They are 125th nationally. They don't want to possess the football. They want to create explosive plays. We want to possess the football and we want to score and cash in the red zone when we get there. So which team is going to be able to enforce their will and force their opponent into playing their game? I think that's a really important part and storyline of this game. Okay, so I know that I've droned long enough here, guys, so I'm going to try to wrap this thing up for you guys, put a nice little bow on it. Let's talk about the keys to this game, and this is going to be kind of just a recap of some of the things we've talked about, kind of go in a little more detail on things I think that we have to do to win this football game. Number one, let's just start here, man. We cannot help them the way the Alabama did. We cannot play as sloppily as Alabama did. Now, give Tennessee credit; they won that football game. They beat Alabama by three points, though. And Alabama played the worst half of football that I've ever seen a Nick Saban Alabama team play. And yes, I was around and live for 2007 when Nick Saban first got to Alabama, and they what they had a six and six year. I want to say that year. I have never seen a Nick Saban Alabama team play the way that they did in the first half of that game. It was just so uncharacteristic in so many ways. When the what was the final tally? 17 penalties in that game. I mean, dear god, just absolutely killed themselves I mean you had a you had an interception in the end zone that would have won the game and there's a pass interference call now I think it was a phantom pass interference call uh it was a game-changing horrific pass interference call but it was a pass interference call nonetheless you cannot do those kind of things you can't help Tennessee they are good guys I'm not going to say like Tennessee fans is hilarious you see them on social media and they're just acting like we're garbage like we're basically Vanderbilt and that there's just no chance we're gonna lose this game they have zero respect for us zero at least they're trying to project that I have respect for Tennessee. I'm not gonna sit here and and blow smoke and say not Tennessee sucks. No, that's not what I'm telling you. Tennessee's good. Like they this is a threat, guys. Tennessee is a legitimate threat to come in here and beat us. All right. Understand that. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that they can't beat us. Absolutely they can. They are very good. I respect them. But we also cannot help them. We are, I think, we are still a more talented team. All right. We are more talented now. We are banged up. We have some key players. I wish AD Mitchell was playing, man, but he's not. I wish Jalen was 100%, but he's not. I wish Noah Smith was in this game, but he's not. Like, we're banged up and and they're not banged up like that. But I still think that we are a more talented team. But Bama's more talented than them. Now, we have the benefit, obviously, of this being at home. And it's not so much that, like, we might have a, a, a raucous environment, which I think that we will. And, like Eric Ainge getting out there and saying like, oh, Sanford Stadium's not a tough place to play. I will admit once upon a time, I don't want to say it was, it wasn't a great home field advantage, but it wasn't like an elite home field advantage. It was good, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't the rowdiest place. The student section, at least the lower level student section was always good, especially when I was in college, but we had a lot of the, the rest of the stadium was the, hey man, sit down in front of me crowd. Like there just wasn't that kind of vibe, but this is not the Mark Richter anymore. This is the Kirby Smart era. Eric Ainge, it is not 2016 anymore, man. It's not. Things have changed. It's different. It's a different vibe inside Sanford Stadium. I've had season tickets for a long time, and I'm just telling you, it's different. It is different. But it's not even so much that. I mean, could that affect the Tennessee offense? Yeah, I think so. It could. You know, it's certainly going to help us. But what helps us even more is the fact that it's not a Neyland Stadium because Alabama had to contend with that loud, crazy, desperate, success-starved fan base. And that was really, really tough on Alabama. You could tell that. I mean, they even admitted it. It was crazy. It was, like, surreal to hear Will Anderson say it. But he essentially said... I think the Monday after the game that they got shook, basically. Like, we were just nervous out there. Like, we we were anxious. We had a lot of anxiety we were dealing with. It's like, what, Alabama? Like, you guys actually just said that? And, and that, that would hurt, but we don't have to contend with that. They have to contend with our crowd. So I do think that helps in terms of us, us playing a clean game and hopefully them making some mistakes, but we can't help them. We can't. Like, we cannot commit drive killing or drive extending penalties. We must be clean and disciplined. And along with that, I think this goes hand in hand. I mean, this is the case for any game, but especially in a game like this, it takes on added importance. We've got to win the turnover battle. We simply have to at this point. Now, we are number two and number three respectively. Tennessee's number two. We're number three in number of times that we've turned the ball over this year. Like Neither team has given the ball away a lot. They've given the ball away eight times. We've given the ball away nine times. But what Tennessee's been far better at than we have is forcing turnovers. They force 16 turnovers. We've only forced nine. Now, I think a big part of that is that they play far more aggressively on defense than we do, and they kind of force the issue and create some of those turnovers. But we have to win the turnover battle, or at the very least, come out even in this game in terms of the turnover margin. And the next key is kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with the Tennessee offense. We have to limit big plays at all costs. Force them to go 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives every single drive. Force them to earn everything. Do not give them the 70-yard touchdown. Do not give them the gimme play. Force them to create long, clean drives that they're able to sustain over the course of 10 to 15 plays. That's what you have to do. And then if they're moving the ball, because they will, guys, they're good bow your freaking neck in the red zone and force field goals because that's a win for us guys against this Tennessee offense that is a win if you force field goals I'm chalking that down as a win especially early in this game you can't let this game get away from you early because if you do that takes us out of what we want to do offensively run the football we are not built to be a come from behind like a multi-score team like, like LSU for example they got behind early in that game the, the opening kickoff they fumbled they um, actually had a nice drive the next drive but they went forward and forth down inexplicably and got stopped they went forward and forth down again inexplicably and got stopped and the, and they just gave Tennessee easy scores before you know it it's like 21 nothing and LSU is completely taken out of what they want to do because they're not a passing offense either and boom Tennessee just blows them out in Baton Rouge early in the morning 11 a.m local kickoff we can't do that right so early in the game it's if they're moving the ball. Okay, all right. It's going to happen. Just understand that. But when you get in the red zone, bow your neck, bow your neck, and force field goals. That could be huge in this game, especially if we're able when we get in the red zone, able to actually cash those in for touchdowns. And the final thing here: win the line of scrimmage. I should say lines of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. If we do not do this, if we do not control line of scrimmage in this game on offense and on defense. I don't see a path to victory. I don't think that we win. If we cannot stop the run with even numbers on defense, we have no hope of limiting their pass game. They will be raining bombs on us all day long in our nightmares. If on offense, we cannot run the ball, we have no hope of throwing the ball well enough in straight drop back pass situations to score enough points to win this football game. We saw that in the SEC title game last year. We know that. We saw a little bit to a lesser degree earlier this year in Columbia, Missouri, So we don't need to just win the line of scrimmage. Honestly, I think we need to dominate it. I think we need to dominate the line of scrimmage. I think this is where recruiting needs to show up. We have better players, higher recruited players on both lines of scrimmage. We need for that to show up in a big way. Now, again, it doesn't help that Jalen Carter's not 100%. It doesn't help that Nolan Smith's not there. But we still have enough players. We still out-recruited them along the lines of scrimmage over the past decade, honestly, that it needs to show up in this game. We have to win the lines of scrimmage. But all right, guys, that is all I got for you. I'm exhausted here. I've been going on for a while. I know you're probably tired of listening to me kind of drone on here. So I'm going to go ahead and cut this thing off. I did not give you a final pick. That is coming. That is coming on our picks episode that Charlie will be here to do with me tomorrow. So that'll be out late Thursday night, early Friday. It'll be out Thursday night. So depending on when you listen to it, it'll be up around 8 o'clock on Thursday night. But if you're a Friday listener or Saturday morning listener, it'll be there for you. And both Charlie and myself will give you our final picks in this game. You probably have gotten a little bit of a clue from from what I've said throughout this episode, which way I'm leaning. But I will give you my full-on opinion there on the picks episode at the end of this week. But thank you guys sincerely for being here, supporting this podcast. Cannot thank you guys enough. We love each and every one of you. Appreciate you guys. But we'll be back with our picks later this week. Have a full on slate of games picked for you. Give you a bunch of winners to hopefully help you win some money with my bookie. Again, mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.